a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the Tech Today podcast powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Mayetta. Wanted to get you caught up on some content that we published over the past few days over at Tech Today with respect to Google and Apple, separate articles. And again, we're, we're free until next month, April, when we'll migrate some of our content to premium. So the first one, the first article was Google Stadia. We did sort of a roundup, and this would have been uh, over the weekend. Google Stadia, if you're not aware, that is Google's new cloud gaming offering that will be released later this year. And cloud gaming is the, is the future. If you have young people in the family, they're probably aware that kids, children, teenagers, and younger, if they're not playing video games, they're watching other people play games, and they're watching on YouTube. And so Google already has sort of a, a built-in audience, if you will, with its its YouTube business. And so you know, if you think about that, that gives Google a, a, a big leg up as it, as it rolls out Stadia later this year. It, it's really, Stadia is really the... The gaming content, which in large part, at least initially, is going to be developed by third parties. And then it's the marriage of that content with YouTube. So gamers are going to be able to discover these games on YouTube. And if gamers are on YouTube doing something else, watching a, an ESPN highlight, let's say, and a game pops up in the margin, you know, an, an ad or a reference to a game, Google will embed a Play Now button in all of these games. And so you can just literally click play now and within a few seconds be be live in that game. And so all you need to access Stadia gaming content will be a Chrome browser and an internet connection. And all the games will be rendered in real time on Google servers. So from a technological standpoint, from a, a, a... from a, a data center standpoint, from a throughput standpoint, it's only a handful of companies that could pull this off. Google being one, of course, Amazon, Microsoft... Maybe Facebook, but it's the big platform guys that would have the the throughput capability. However, there is an AI machine learning component to these games in terms of rendering them and rendering them in in real time with minimal latency. And it's that ML layer that sort of uniquely qualifies Google for this offering. Because despite the fact that Amazon has probably captured more mindshare with their AI-powered home devices, Google remains the AI machine learning, deep learning leader. And I'd say that uh, Amazon, Microsoft is sort of right there jockeying for number two. And they partnered back in 2017, if you recall. Uh, Amazon and and Microsoft to share resources around AI and machine learning to better compete with Google, the leader. So back to Stadia and back to YouTube. So 85% of teenagers use YouTube. So not not as it only the most popular game watching platform at present, but it's the most popular social media platform. You have more than 200 million logged in YouTubers watching games each day. So again, you have that built-in audience with, with Stadia. You'll have Google Pay integrated to the experience. So as as users subscribe to the service, that's sort of natural traffic that'll flow to Google Pay. Price points and things like this, financials weren't released at the developer conference. So that detail will come later. I believe it's this summer. Google, Google will release additional detail about Stadia. And perhaps at that time we'll we'll, we'll learn more around uh, pricing and the revenue opportunity. My guess it, it, it feels like sort of nine ninety nine ten bucks per month is the default for a lot of these new subscription services, whether they be games or or uh, you know other visual content, streaming video, this type of thing. Apple's 
release from yesterday, which we'll talk about next. So I, I would guess somewhere in the $10 per user per month range is where Stadia will sort of roll out at. 4K resolution, 60 frames per second, 10.7 GPU teraflops. We can learn more about the technical detail at, at, at Tech Today in our article. Our guesstimate is roughly 2.5 billion gamers globally. And you have more than 50 billion hours of gaming content that was watched in, in 2018. So you can kind of run your own numbers. Who knows what the trajectory will look like in terms of early traction? You know, ESPN's, uh, ESPN Plus, there, the new streaming service they released, has a little over 2 million subscribers. I would guess that this gaming offering will gain traction sooner in a greater scale than an over-the-top sports video service like ESPN Plus. And granted, the price point for ESPN Plus was $4.99, but gaming is just a... It's, it's the largest segment within, within broadly defined entertainment. So just to wrap up on Stadia, what I, what I like best is it is a platform built for today and tomorrow. Cloud is cl- clearly where gaming is, is, is going. Frankly, it's where it is. In terms of people enjoying the ex- experience is where it is. And that's increasingly how folks are going to play games, I believe. It'll be rendered in the data center. And the, 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 the fact that Stadia is going to be so tightly integrated with YouTube. What that tells me is the user experience is going to be high quality. So it's going to be a minimal friction user experience. You're not going to have to ask users to adopt a new behavior in order to play these games. And that is enormous. And you can contrast that with Apple's release. And why don't we segue it over? We we published a, an article overnight last night around Apple's media event yesterday entitled Apple Strategy, The Good, The Bad, and The Retro. An alternative title I was kicking around was uh, Apple Strategy is as retro as the company's opening video. If you saw the opening video montage, which was a two-minute movie that they put together, it was done in, in retro format. And that's how I view Apple's content strategy, frankly. It feels retro. It feels cumbersome. It feels fraught with friction. And they've, they've built a business. Frankly, that's yesterday's business. In Apple's content business, it's focused on TV slash original movie programming, partner programming. It's focused on newspapers, digital newspapers, magazines. It's focused on news and their gaming offering, Apple Arcade, downloadable games. I think it, So it just feels like Apple has invested a lot of time and money in building a business that's focused on baby boomers, frankly. So I'll, I'll read you sort of the... The header from the article, because I think I said it really as well as I could, could say it in the, in the article. Quote, when speaking or writing about Apple, we have spent much of the past 18 months beating up on the iPhone. Yesterday's Apple event didn't engender confidence in the firm's content strategy. Anchored by a curated walled garden approach, Apple's strategy seems mired in the early 2000s at a time when young people have migrated to open cloud-based systems. On a positive note, we are fans of Apple's fintech strategy, the Apple Pay, Apple Card combination, end quote. And that's how I feel. I feel the curated walled garden approach is, a, is an old-fashioned approach. You know, you, you compare and contrast the different systems I'll talk about here in a minute, uh, the different Apple systems, which are all curated and part of the walled garden. You compare that to the discovery, the content discovery experience on, on Google slash YouTube, and it's night and day. And young people want to find their own content. They want to discover their own content. They want to experiment with new content. They don't want a curated universe of content from which to choose and to then be forced to use your clumsy search slash navigation mechanism to find 
that curated content. So we haven't tested it hands-on, but uh, Apple went into some detail yesterday and showed sort of a live rep video representation of of the different uh, offerings around news and television and, and such. And it's just, it's clumsy. So why don't we start with the TV piece? So Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, which is a bundle of, of various channels, most of it, most of it third-party content. And again, what, what, I, what I like least about it is that it, it, it feels clumsy in terms of the navigation, the search features functionality. Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, Apple TV channels, uh, Siri resides at sort of the core. So you can search, run queries, navigate using Siri. And if you recall, we wrote and did a podcast some time ago, a number of months ago about Siri and the fact that it is a, a laggard in the AI machine learning space, well behind Google's voice assistant and Amazon Alexa. Siri, Apple's downfall, question mark, was the, the piece we published. So you have a clumsy AI technology at the core of your navigation features. So that's not going to work. With, their, with Apple's TV channels strategy, they're, they're, they're essentially looking for that platform to be a content hub and to link in to your other content services, whether they be Hulu, Netflix, you name it. And so typically when you roll out a, a hub-type service or a, a platform layer that, that would sit on top of multiple disparate items, typically you would do that because you're improving the user experience, you're moving friction from the user experience, you're adding convenience to the user experience. And in Apple's case, I feel like they're adding friction to the experience with their Apple channels offering, that they're adding complexity to the user experience. So the whole darn thing just sort of feels counterintuitive. So I don't like the experience piece, the technological experience piece, the navigation search piece. And I think that's enough to to ruin the offering on its own when compared to services such as YouTube, Prime, Netflix. We'll see what the forthcoming Disney Plus library experience looks like. So the, the experience piece, they get a they get an F. They fail there. And then if you think about content, there weren't a whole lot of specifics around the specific Apple TV content. My question here is, how do you compete with, there's really just two in my view. How do you compete with Disney and with Netflix? So Netflix is expected to spend around $15 billion in 2019 to invest around $15 billion on content. That's an enormous budget. Last number I saw for Apple is around a billion. There's a rumor that YouTube is going to really throttle back. They were spending also, I believe, around a billion on original content. And they're going to migrate mostly to, this is YouTube now, to uh, free original content and leverage an ad model. So that really just leaves two, two giants, and that's Netflix and Disney. I also think Prime is well behind those two. Now, Netflix doesn't have the breadth of original content that Disney has, and that's why they're investing like crazy. They're trying to build their original content library to replace the content that's that's come off the platform that will continue to come off as, as Disney contracts expire and Disney brings its own content in-house. Disney has the best in-class original content library. So if you're Apple, what is the strategy? If you're positioning this largely as an original content platform, what is the strategy for becoming best in class. How are you going to catch Disney? How are you going to catch Netflix? You know, so none of that was addressed. This wasn't really an investor conference. This was more uh, a conference for Apple fans. So I was not impressed with, with Apple TV. Apple News, let's just cover it quickly. Apple News, to me, 
feels frivolous. It's surface level access in design aesthetic over substance. $9.99 per month for access to a curated universe of newspapers and more than 300 magazines. And so you just sort of say to yourself at that price point, you know, what what is the depth of coverage? There's clearly breadth, but what is the depth if we have access to all this stuff for only $9.99 a month? So obviously you're just getting bits and pieces of premium content offering, such as the Wall Street Journal, for example. The Wall Street Journal is going to provide certain is going to provide access to Apple with respect to certain general interest articles. But the Wall Street Journal's core business reporting, uh, all the meat and potatoes that they're really known for, that won't be part of the service offering. So when you look at that price point, you kind of tell, hey, this is surface level stuff, not a deep information service. Gaming. Apple Arcade. So to me, it felt like it was presented almost as almost an afterthought. And if I'm on the board or if I'm CEO of Apple and gaming is already the largest segment within the entertainment industry, I think the expectation is for roughly $51.5 billion of gaming revenue in the U.S. this year, up from $43.4 billion in 2018. Shouldn't that be your focus? I mean, just strategically, shouldn't gaming be Apple's focus as it relates to content businesses. So if you're going to play in episodic TV, movies, uh, magazine, newspaper content, delivering this content, so publishing, delivering, producing, so on and so forth. And if you're also going to play in games, if you had a dollar to spend, shouldn't kind of 70, 80 cents on the dollar be, be invested in gaming? Shouldn't that take the lion's share of the investment? And shouldn't that be the lion's share of the focus to consumers? given that that's the largest segment of broadly defined entertainment or broadly defined media, gaming is. It's the fastest growing segment, and you would expect that trend to continue. It still feels like it's early days. So I just feel that strategically yesterday was a big miss. Apple's focus is on yesterday's businesses, and it's underinvesting in the, the future, which is gaming. Not to mention their approach to gaming. Again, sort of the curated, uh, walled garden approach. And on top of that, you know, they don't have a cloud offering. It's, it will continue to be downloadable games. So the delivery mechanism feels dated. And the method by which that content is presented to users, the walled garden, the curated walled garden, feels dated. So a, a big miss on gaming. And that's Apple Arcade. And then the positive from the day was the Apple card. So Apple is rolling out a credit card. And they partnered with Goldman Sachs. So Goldman is now in the consumer the consumer bank and consumer lending business. So the Apple card, the no-fee credit card, I think is a great idea, given that Apple has enormous reach as a result of having sold uh, billions of iPhones. So they have a natural uh, relationship with, with, the, with the consumer through iPhone purchases, iTunes, things like this. And so financial services just seemed obvious, I thought. It just kind of shocked me that you haven't seen the large platform companies push more aggressively into financial services years sooner. So I think it's good that Apple that Apple did so. And Apple Card will be tightly integrated with Apple Pay. It's both a digital card and a physical card. So uh, you may use the credit card anywhere that Apple Pay is accepted. And if Apple Pay is not accepted at that business establishment, you may you may use the physical card to pay for goods and services. The physical card is part of the MasterCard network. What investors should be concerned with, if, if you're uh, looking at the, the, the strategy around the Apple Card, is that it is uh, privacy-centric. So in, in addition to you know, curation being a, a, a thread that ran through 
uh, yesterday's presentations and a thread that has run through uh, Apple strategy for years, uh, privacy is also a thread, as many of you are aware. And so the, the Apple card, Apple nor Goldman will, will track your spending, sell your spending patterns to third-party marketers. So that's a, a good thing. If you're a, a privacy-conscious consumer, it's a, it's a bad thing from a revenue opportunity standpoint because by not tracking your spending activity, by Apple not having that intelligence, they're not able to market it and sell it to third-party advertisers. So that's a, a, a missed revenue opportunity. And I'm sure Apple's bet is that you know we'll, we'll make it up or we'll make up a portion of it by appealing to consumers who are uh, privacy conscious. But you know my, my pushback there is that hey, with, with respect to privacy, the genie's out of the out of the bottle, particularly as it relates to credit cards. I mean, our credit history has been out there since the 70s with with American Express. So again, it just feels like Apple's a little late with the the, the privacy sales pitch, given that our spending patterns and credit history have been been out there for decades and decades. So. To wrap on, on Apple, the good was the Apple card, or at least it was mostly good. Not, not great, if you're thinking about it, in terms of the monetization model. The bad, Apple News and Apple TV, didn't like either. Apple Arcade, you could qualify that as bad as well. I put it in the retro bucket, given that, the again, the, the delivery model and so forth just feels extremely, extremely dated. So you could, so you could find that article entitled Apple Strategy, the Good, the Bad, and the Retro for free at Tech Today. That's all for now. See you next time.